Hi, I'm Michael G. Williams, and welcome to Social Distancing Radio. I'm a novelist, and a reader and friend of mine asked if I would record myself reading one of my novels as something they would find comforting and familiar in the midst of the uncertainty and anxiety of the COVID-19 pandemic. I'll be reading to you from Perishables, the first book in my five-book urban fantasy and vampire series, The Withrow Chronicles, published by Falstaff Books, aka FalstaffBooks.com. If you'd like to pick up a copy for yourself, head over to bit.ly, that's B-I-T dot L-Y, slash Perishables link. That goes to Amazon. Thanks. All right, y'all. Uh, sorry about missing a couple of days there. You know, I said that this is going to be a regular, like, Monday through Thursday kind of thing. And I was not taking into account the fact that my day job would basically go bananas during all this. That's, well, it's a long story. I can't really get into it. But, um, I mean, I could. I just don't feel like it because I've just done it for, like, 12 hours. Suffice to say... Things are pretty wild. Um, I hope that wherever you are, you are safe and well, and that you stay that way. And I hope you've got everything you need. And I hope you enjoy listening to me read Perishables to you. I've got my read and wine. Oh, that's good. That hits the spot, let me tell you. Having had a couple of sips of read and wine, Let's jump right back into Perishables Part 2, The College Town. We were 20 minutes farther into our patrol when we heard gunshots and froze in our steps. Tim backed up a couple of paces, but Everett and I looked at one another and then took off jogging towards the shots. We came around the corner of the English department building and found four students in camouflage. They were milling around the outer perimeter of a small clump of bodies, maybe half a dozen I recognized a couple of them as faculty from the English department itself. As we approached, one swung his rifle around at us, and the three of us dove into some bushes a second before he fired. Stop shooting! My voice was hoarse and ragged from sudden screaming. We're patrollers! We're okay! There was some muffled barking of orders or argument or something, and then another shot over our heads. Then we heard boots running away into the woods behind the English department, and they were gone. I started counting very quietly up from one, and when I got to thirty, I stood up just enough to peek over the bushes. No one was around. I stood all the way up and waited for a gunshot, but didn't hear one. I turned, slowly, to look back the way we'd come. Still no gunshot. I stepped out onto the path. Still no gunshot. Everett and Tim and I walked to within thirty feet or so. Do you think they shot them by mistake? Tim's voice was shaky. It struck me suddenly, thunderously, that he was the only person I knew who'd already seen one of these things out there in the night on his way here. And he was out here with us. I couldn't believe how brave that was. No, I said in reply. I pointed at one, then another. Shot in the back. These were opportunistic killings. That would explain the pot shot they took when we called out. It might be Tim managed that they shot a patrol by accident, and then another patrol came running and they shot them to keep from being caught. That's a big leap, I said. It seems like a good enough possibility, Tim murmured, a little wounded, 
and I reached out and squeezed his upper arm. No, not that. You may be right. If you are right, those kids made the jump from manslaughter to murder one in, what, a minute? Thirty seconds? That's a big leap. They've been told to protect themselves. Everett's voice was quiet. They weren't told from what, or that there were any limits to that. I shuddered and pulled my arms around myself, the mop handle banging clumsily against my shins as I did so, and then turned to walk back to the quad. Come on, I said. We have to stop just walking around. We have to see if anybody has a plan. They followed me for lack of anything better to do. By the time we made it back up to the main quad, away from the little side quad where a bunch of the humanities buildings were, the zombies had arrived. Here's the thing about the South. There are cemeteries everywhere. Mount Aries was founded in the 1880s, and it had a functioning campus graveyard for 90 years. The graveyard filled, it turned out, during Vietnam. It was kind of small, but I guess at the time the college was founded, when the college was two buildings and the graveyard was like a million miles away, it must have seemed plenty big. The population explosion of the 20th century is something that really took everyone by surprise, or at least it seems like it did. Everyone from the 19th century seems so small. Everything from the 19th century seems so small, so cramped, so packed together by our standards, like everything they built was for them alone. But they thought they were building everything on an enormous scale by their own metrics. There's this film called A Man with a Movie Camera. It's from the 1920s. A lot of it was shot in Odessa in the Ukraine. There are these scenes of the streets, and they're just huge and wide, and there's nothing in them. The people in those scenes at the time must have looked on those streets and thought to themselves, we will never fill these streets. Now Odessa is famous for its traffic jams. That's a little off topic. Sorry, the next part is hard to talk about. The graveyard had a lot of graves in it. I'm guessing whatever makes people into zombies doesn't work too well when there's not a lot left to work with, which is as much detail as I want to go into about it. My point is, there weren't a lot of zombies, but there were a few, and they were almost all in military uniforms, and they were sort of wandering around on the corner of the quad closest to the graveyard. Maybe the lights had drawn them. For that matter, maybe the gunshots had gotten their attention. I pulled up my phone and I hit the number for J. Harley Boquest, who was, at least, someone I knew had a phone and would answer it if I called. He picked up on the third ring. Ms. McCordy, he said very formally. Listen, Harley, where are you? I need some help. I'm patrolling with Officer Jacobs and Dr. Bach. J. Harley Boquest sniffed a little at that. He was pleased with having drawn a department chair and the head of campus security as his patrol buddies. We've just made a terrible discovery behind the senior dormitories. The jumpers? Why, yes, he said. Don't tell me a lady has been burdened with seeing them. Are you nearby? No, we saw them a while ago. I couldn't believe I was standing there having a conversation with them about some dead people on the other side of campus when they were when they were walking around dead people 50 yards away and vaguely headed this direction. Tim was gawping at them, his jaw where he in silence, and Everett was giving me this look of, okay, seal the deal, tell them what's happening, and making that keep going spinning motion with his right index finger. Good lord, girl, why didn't you tell someone? This kind of thing is deadly to morale. Jay Harley's biggest problem was, seriously, that I hadn't called someone, and now people might see those dead kids and feel bad. 
Because there is no one to fucking call, I shouted directly into the phone, held a few inches from my mouth. Because there are zombies on the main fucking quad. Mother of God! I heard the phone clatter against the pavement and Jay Harley was quickly marshalling Dr. Bach and Officer Jacobs into action. I could hear him faintly. They're here! They're on the main quad! Mother of God, they're here! Then there were some running footsteps and I hung up the phone. Everett took ten seconds to point out two things. Girlfriend, he said just as patiently as he possibly could. Number one, don't shout when there are zombies around. I glanced over and saw that all ten or so of them had stopped and turned this direction, and some of them were, well, they were sniffing the air. Number two, whoever J. Harley Boquest has with him is going to know about it, and so is anyone in a hundred-foot radius, because J. Harley Boquest, goddess bless his cross-eyed soul and his paleolithic glasses prescription, is not a quiet or subtle man. I drew a breath before replying, is that a kind of a good thing, bad thing statement? Like, good job on the telling someone who will let everyone know, but watch the volume in future? I blinked a little. Right now I needed, I don't know, I needed to be able to teleport. That's what I fucking needed. No. I take this opportunity to point out the caliber of most of the campus's reaction to this event. Everett said it very sweetly, and then he and I grabbed Tim by either arm and took off running in the opposite direction from the zombies towards the senior dorms, towards where J. Harley Boquest and Officer Jacobs and Dr. Bach were going to be coming from. I glanced back just once, and the zombies were walking. Not running. Just walking. The same direction we were. Everett did the same, and then he and I had Tim off the ground, and we were practically flying ourselves. Well, y'all, I'm going to stop there, and tomorrow night we're going to finish part two of Perishables, The College Town. Y'all... Thanks for listening. Thanks for your patience. I promise next session is definitely going to happen because I'm just about to record it. Ha <laughs> ha. Bye. Thanks for listening. This podcast is released under a Creative Commons attribution, non-commercial, no derivatives license. The theme music is Plucked Contemporary Boom by Kara Square. Available under a Creative Commons attribution license at ccmixter.org.